0: don't just go along with what everybody else is doing and thinking and saying, right? No. Start asking questions. Question the status quo. Question who you are right now. Question what people are telling you, including, by the way, whatever I say on this podcast. Question it.
1: Welcome to the Isle of Misfits. I am your humble host and chief misfit, Nancy Carmichael. And you know, I just got to say that sometimes life seems unfair and you feel you just can't catch a break. But today, my misfit friend is not one of those days because the outrageous favor of God is resting upon all of us in the form of our very special guest on the aisle who I got to tell you, I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am to talk to him today. So I'll just introduce him instead. His name is Dr. Michael Gillen, or as he likes to be called, Dr. G. And you might know him from his award-winning work as science editor for ABC or his show on the History Channel, maybe his award-winning movie, Little Red Wagon, his book, Amazing Truths his podcast uh let's see what what did i leave out oh yeah yeah his or maybe his work at harvard and cornell as an astrophysicist and mathematician and what he's doing talking to me i don't know but shh, let's go with it uh, <laughs> if for some reason you don't know who he is oh you are in for a treat today so welcome back to the isle of misfits dr gillen or dr g
0: Oh, Nancy, wow, what an introduction, and I'm just sitting here and just realizing how fortunate I am uh, to be alive for such a time as this, to be able to talk to you through this incredible technology that science has made possible, that we're able to talk about God and science and life and death and everything that matters to us as human beings, through this technology. So thank you for inviting me. And I too am really looking forward to this conversation, Uh, Nancy, you're someone who's very special. Uh, You have a, just a glowing spirit and it comes across through your voice alone. And so thank you. I look forward to our conversation. So take it away. (laughs) Well,
1: I just got to tell like that, that just truly like humbles me for to even hear you say that. So I like, I don't think I've ever used the expression, uh that i'm tickled to have a guest but i am so i said it there i said it but um <laughs> i'm just tickled to have you here to talk about um all of the above and uh oh yeah one thing we haven't mentioned yet is your new book uh believing is seeing so yeah maybe we should talk about that today too
0: oh i hope so yeah <laughs> i'm really excited it comes out in september and um it's uh, you know i've written a lot of books but this is uh this is a special book. Um, so I, I hope we have a chance to talk about it,
1: oh, I think so. yeah, indeed. and and yeah, and I did. I just recently finished reading it, and I concur. It is a special book. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that. and and like, so I'm going to back up a little bit though, because I said, welcome back because we have. We've talked before. It was several years ago, but it was, I think it was actually before I officially became a misfit on the aisle. Um but, you know, in that conversation, I, I, I remember it to this day, actually, and, and we, I, we learned a lot. Well, I learned a lot that day, but it all started with a stupid game.
0: <laughs> Uh-oh. Here we go. <laughs> we're going to do it again, Nancy, are we?
1: We're going to do it again, I believe.
0: Let's go for it. Come on now.
1: <laughs> in the archives, I believe I quizzed you about your time in Ithaca, New York, because you were at Cornell, after all.
0: Yes. Yes. yes that's right. That's and right.
1: I remember that. Oh, you do. Oh, good. That's good. Yeah. So we're not quizzing you about that today, but um, <laughs> but you're such a great sport. I decided to press my luck. So all right. So you're in now. So here today's stupid game. I actually based it on reading your book. So. Oh.
0: Okay. Yeah. All so it's right. really so,
1: the way I design most of my stupid games. There's no failing them, but um, you yeah, know, we'll <laughs> see. Um, so this stupid game is mostly it's like four this or that's and a true or false. So. Oh. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So. The first view is: I just want your knee-jerk reaction. I really don't even want you to think, and I know that's hard because you're a thinker. All right, <laughs> so are <laughs> you ready? Yep. All, all right. set. All right, this or that: Galileo or Newton?
0: I uh, My first instinct was going to be Galileo.
1: Really? Okay. All right. Yeah. All yeah. right, and you can say why. That's allowed. No, no, they didn't said
0: because it. It's, it was just impulsive. You know, it was right. interesting because the first one that said Galileo, and then I wanted to say, ah, no, Newton, but you told me not to think. So I'm mm-hmm. just being honest. The first okay. one that came to Galileo, but maybe that was because that was the first, first one thing you mentioned. I said.
1: Could be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it could be. I know. <laughs> well, See, awesome. if, awesome. it were, if it were a picture, yeah, I could have just put them both out in front of you and had your point. Yeah. But, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. So here, number two Cornell or Harvard.
0: Oh, I'm not supposed to think, right? right. Um,
1: <laughs> you can uh, feel, yes. I, you can have a cornell. visceral reaction. Really?
0: Cornell. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, because that's where my life really changed. Okay. Um, yeah.
1: Okay. And they do have the better bagels, I'm assuming. Oh, I don't know.
0: College Town bagels. Right. Don't get me hungry. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, I mean, no, I've never, I've never had a Harvard bagel, so I can't say that with authority. But I'm just nah, imagining. No,
0: Harvard is not known yeah. for its bagels. Okay. no,
1: no. Yeah, <laughs> and how could honestly, how could it get any better? So, okay, so this one's a hard one, and the, this one, I don't know. I, I don't want to traumatize you by this one because I, there's the potential. So I've already put that thought in your head, but I'm just going <laughs> to say it. Okay, back to the Titanic or back to the burning oil fields of Kuwait. Ah. <sighs>
0: Well, gosh, you really are asking the tough question. I know, I know. Uh, yeah. And, and you... Okay, I want to just say back to the Titanic.
1: Really? Really, yeah. yeah. Now, and you don't have to oh, go well, back wait minute, to... Wait a
0: yeah. am, am, uh, am I allowed to ask for clarification? You are. are. you yes. would I, if I had a redo, would yes. I want to go back to the Titanic? Or go, uh, is that what you're asking?
1: That is the essence of my question. But, you okay. know, being a humanities girl, you know, I'm I'm open to your artistic interpretation.
0: Okay, no. If that's the case, then without question... I would say the oil fields. Back to the oil fields in Iraq right and in, uh, in uh, Kuwait.
1: Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense to me. Maybe we can talk about that in a minute because yeah, right. that was yeah, that was quite intense. So
0: Oh boy. Yeah. And and be. it had a happy ending. <laughs> well, <laughs> so did the Titanic yeah. in a way, but no, yeah. I would I would say the burning oil feels of Kuwait. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. We'll put a we'll put a pin in that. And maybe get back to that in a second. But yeah. Yeah, because now we've got people intrigued. Like, what are they talking about? Yeah, um, what are they
0: talking about? Inside baseball.
1: <laughs> it's in the book. Okay.
0: Well, that's right. In yeah,
1: it is. So see, that's it. That's what we call it, a teaser. Um, okay, number four The Isle of Mathematics Or The Isle of Misfits I know Well,
0: oh, now <laughs> yeah, you're this really putting me On the spot You know, just because Just because I love this podcast I love you, I love your spirit I, I do have to say the Isle of Misfits.
1: Oh, okay, now I yeah. really don't believe you. But that was very kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it, who you are, the mathematics. But yeah, but thank you. Yeah. That's But if I could have
0: one foot in each aisle, that would be the ideal. And you can't,
1: because I think yeah, a lot admits. of it... I think, I have this prevailing theory, and I don't want to get too, too far into a rabbit trail, but I think <laughs> most people that are... In the Isle of Mathematics, or any of the sciences, or STEM, as they say, I, I think they, I, I think misfit fits, if as yes. it were, yes. Oh yeah. Yes, yeah. I
0: mean. No. No question about yeah. it. But well, we could explore that one. I I felt like a misfit since I was a very young boy, a kid, and uh, look what became of me. You know, yeah. I like to say, uh, you know, geeks rule. That, and, hey. Um, this, yeah.
1: There's truth I mean, in that statement. Yeah.
0: There. There. There is, but. Um, Okay, yeah, but I, I would say the Isle of Misfits, because in a, in a way, the Isle of Mathematics is a an Isle full of Misfits.
1: This is true, yes. <laughs> you know,
0: mathematicians are just an odd lot, and that's why I love them. <laughs> that's why I love it. This you know, is so, true. Yeah. yeah. How am I doing, Nancy? Am You're I doing, doing great. Okay?
1: I think you have okay. 100% so yeah. far. So, well, it's a okay. four out of five, so we're at 80%. So, here, okay. okay. All right. So All right. Mm. Last one is true or false. Okay. You ready? Uh-huh. Ready? It's a tricky one. <laughs>
0: Uh-oh.
1: This statement oh. is false.
0: Oh, you really <laughs> see what I did. there? Yeah, you really did read the book.
1: Uh <laughs> I did. I did indeed.
0: Well, um it's true and false. <laughs> no. Um it's true <laughs> and it's false. And it's <laughs>
1: false. Yes. Yeah. So that yeah. see this is I really had a method to my madness cuz you yes. my my scientific doctor friend um just Helped us naturally segue into talking about your book because yeah. So that statement, let's let's begin there. Let's talk about that statement. What uh, what what's that statement all about? There's some kind of logic going on there.
0: Yeah, one might say that that statement, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners right now, or maybe even most of your listeners, is what in the world are those two chatting about? Exactly. Um, but if you read the book, you'll understand. And, and let me just give you a little bit of a headline. And that is that statement, um, which Nancy just said, which is this statement is false, okay? So if you're listening and you have a pen, uh, pencil and paper, maybe you just write that down. This statement is false. And the question is, is that statement true or is it false? If you think about it, if it's true, then by, it, by its own admission, it's false, right? But if it's false, mm-hmm then again, by its own admission, it's got to be true. So what does that mean? Why is that significant? Why are we making such a fuss over it? It's because, and and without hyperbole, you can say that um, it represents uh, really a seismic bombshell that hit mathematics in the 20th century, in the early 20th century and um i you know we don't have time to get into it but before this bombshell happened right around the 1930s um and it involved a logician named kurt girdle who i speak about in the book he's probably not probably he he is the greatest logician who ever lived after aristotle who invented uh aristotelian logic it's the kind of kind of logic that everybody thinks about um, when they use the word logic. In fact, there are many different kinds of logic, but we won't we won't get into that. So um, in, the, in the 1930s, Kurt Girdle dis- made this discovery that logic um, has some mortal flaws, that logic is not all-powerful. All logic cannot explain everything. And this was very much a belief. Before the bombshell, you know, mathematicians believed that logic was kind of their vehicle for being able to prove all truths in the universe. It was kind of the the yellow brick road that would lead you to perfection, that would lead you to certainty, that given enough time um, and if you were smart enough, you could use logic You could use the rules of logic to prove all truths. So if you couldn't prove something, it meant that it was not true. Uh, And if you could prove it, it meant it was true. So it was all very tidy and all very, oh, that's terrific. But uh, Kurt Gödel um, proved, (laughs) and that's what makes it so remarkable. But he proved that uh, logic cannot prove all truths, that there are truths in the universe. You can almost say, most truths uh, in the universe cannot be proved with logic. Logic is simply not powerful to do that. One way to think about it is um, if you're using a computer and you're opening up a lot of windows, um, you could get to the point where your computer freezes on you. It just kind of crashes on you because you've just opened too many windows. In effect, I do that all asp- the
1: time. I'm so sorry. Right, yeah, yes. and it
0: happens to me too, and then you have to reboot and all this, um, and that—that's just another way of saying that you've asked too much of the computer. You—you—you—you—you were—you were requiring more than what the computer can deliver it's to you. Cannot
1: compute. Well, that's yeah.
0: pretty much what Godel discovered about logic. He discovered that there are very complex questions, among them, does God exist, uh, that logic could, simply cannot handle. It kind of loses its mind. It goes crazy. It crashes on you, and there's nothing you can do about it. It just—it's a he discovered a fundamental weakness, a fundamental limit to logic. And that just completely, completely uh, made us rethink what mathematics is all about. So that's why that that seemingly simple statement, this statement is false, is so huge because it is a simple illustration of what I've just explained. So right right on. And can I say, uh, Nancy, before we go any further... um, i love your stupid game and i think it's probably the, i i can you know i do podcasts all the time you know I, I was just interviewed by fox news and i think this is like one of the most brilliant ways to open a podcast i, I might actually steal the idea if you don't mind oh
1: please do and, please do. Yeah, that would be and my like contribution like, yeah. to the world
0: <laughs> and i'll definitely give you credit don't worry about you but anyway the reason i love it so much too is because when i was teaching at harvard you know, and I taught physics at Harvard for about nine years, and um, I just loved it. it. Just, just even thinking about it, especially in the fall when the semester was starting. And you know, Cambridge, it's just a magical place. It's like a, it's like a movie set. And you know, walking across um, Harvard Square and then Harvard Yard and. In, in Harvard yard you see the, the, this is where we put all our freshmen freshmen are required to live in dormitories red brick red brick uh, uh, colonial style uh, dormitories within the yard which is fenced off it's gated off and as you're walking across the yard in the fall and the and the chapel bells are tolling and the leaves are changing colors and they're falling on you it's just like indescribable Magical. and uh, yeah, it really is, and one of the th- and and by the way, there's a plaque on one of those red brick buildings, a brass plaque that indicates that George Washington and his troops actually slept in these dorms during the Revolutionary War. So, I mean, because remember the uh, Harvard was founded like in right. in the sixteen hundreds. I wanted to say sixteen oh nine, but I, I don't think it's that. It, but it was like in it the was 16, early. early yeah. 1600s. Wasn't Harvard
1: the original university in this country?
0: I yeah I think so it is the oh, I think it is the oldest although I know there's always one what is the other one uh that always claims so I don't I uh, want to be careful about how it's be, definitely a, yeah,
1: Virginia maybe definitely one of the
0: oldest yeah. um if not the oldest but anyway the point I'm making is that um I just have fond memories of yeah. teaching at Harvard because I would always tell my kids and I loved my kids I, they they meant a lot to me and they still do I still hear from them through Instagram and Facebook, they'll say, Hey, Dr. Gillen, remember me? (laughs) And some have been in the white house. I mean, these kids have really excelled and become Mm -hmm. leaders in our country, but, um, and in the world, not just the country, but, um, the point I'm making in a very roundabout way, because you've really triggered a deep, beautiful memory in me with your stupid game Mm -hmm. is I would tell my kids at the very beginning, the first day of classes in the fall, look, um, I know a lot of you are very anxious about taking physics. A lot of you are are seniors. Most of them were seniors because they would wait to the bitter end to take a physics class. Uh, They just hated it. Sure. Uh, I'm still waiting,
1: so, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) But but they needed to take it in order to graduate. So I had all these anxious seniors, and they would come up to me, Dr. Gillen. I haven't taken science since high school. I'm really nervous. And I would say, look, I would say to the kids on the first day of class, look, I know a lot of you are anxious about this class, but um, don't be. Uh, You're going to learn some really cool stuff about the universe, and then we're going to have some fun. And most of all, I want to encourage you to ask questions. And I want to tell you that there is no such thing as a stupid question in my classroom. So if you're hesitant about raising your hand because you think you're going to be asking a stupid question and everybody in class is going to just think you're stupid – don't. Please don't do that. There is no such thing as a stupid question. And that harkens back to my childhood when my teachers discouraged me from asking questions, but I didn't care. I just kept asking questions. I was a very inquisitive kid. I'm still, as an adult, I'm still inquisitive. My whole journey in life has been driven by my curiosity, by my asking questions. And so I really want to encourage your fellow misfits here listening to us Please take that to heart um, because even uh, I find in science and in Christianity uh, and in life, period, uh, you're discouraged from asking questions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I think that the, God gave us a brain, among other things, uh, so that we can find him through the questions we ask. If mm-hmm. we just sit there mm-hmm. and not ask questions I mean, really? That's like sitting in a parked car and never turning on the engine. You're never going to get anywhere. And I don't think God has given you this Maserati of a brain. And I'm speaking to each of your fellow misfits here. Nobody – God didn't give you your your Maserati brain so that you can just sit there and not ask questions. So I think the theme and when you read my book or watch me on TV or listen to me on wherever – whatever, watch my TV or my movie, whatever, you will always see that that is a recurring theme for me. Asking questions. So your stupid game was just you asking me these, I didn't think they were stupid at all. I don't think that it, it, it was not one of those questions it was stupid. And it was a lot of fun. It was a great way to start a podcast. So anyway, I just had to say that. Oh, wow. You know, so thank you. Wow.
1: wow. Well, hey, thank, no, you're, hey, you're welcome. But really, thank you. I'm so glad that you said that because, you know, in some ways I consider that, all right, game on. You're thrown out the gauntlet. If there's a stupid question, I'm determined yeah. to find it. But I'm, I'm so glad that you said that because, honestly, you know, I think I already said this. I'm more of the humanities girl than the STEM person and you know and I've learned to not be ashamed of that necessarily but my my mind works a little differently I'm married to like a super smart guy but um here's where I'm coming from and, and I'm, I'm just going to be honest and upfront with you like talking to someone like you is like an automatic you know I feeling that you know coming at from a non-scientist from a non-stem point of view I, I there is a part of me that feels like any question I can ask you is Bound to be stupid, you know. So, um, so thank you for taking that pressure off because, um, you know, because I was ready to just kind of put this universal disclaimer. Okay, I'm sorry for all the stupid questions I'm about to ask uh-huh, you, and no, then no. just be done with it and stop apologizing. But no, yeah, but truly, stop thank apologizing. You. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that's right. But that's such <laughs> Dr. a great G point.
0: Says stop apologizing. <laughs> okay,
1: Doctor G says so. But but I love your point that you know God gave us a brain so that we can learn, and we learn. By asking questions.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, if I can, um, you know, because I think this is the appropriate time, that there is a verse in the Bible, and I, I think it's just very appropriate to this discussion. Uh, it's Romans 12, 2. And this is the New Living Translation uh, that I'm using. I'm using it because my new book is being published by Tyndale, which is the author of the New Living Translation. Mm-hmm. It's actually one of my favorite mm-hmm. translations. But it, Romans 12:2 says this. Now listen carefully, it says, <clears throat> "Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Mm-hmm. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect." Wow. Now, let's just this this is the Bible saying to us, how do you how does how do you let God transform you into a new person? If right now you're listening to us and you're and you're not satisfied with where you are in life and you're wondering, how can I change? Well, you don't change by yourself you 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 stretch out your arms to god and just say god transform me and this verse is telling you let god transform you you're not going to transform yourself let god transform you but mm-hmm. how do you give him permission to do that by changing the way you think oh
1: that's yeah, so good the way you
0: think that's your brain you think with your brain so here is the Bible admonishing us look if you want God to transform you into a new person, then you got to start thinking in a new way. Well, how do you start thinking in a new way? You start asking questions. You don't, you, it says right there, it says, do not uh, copy the behavior and customs of this world. In other words, it's saying, uh, <clears throat> don't just go along with what everybody else is doing and thinking and saying, right? no. Start asking questions, question the status quo, question who you are right now, question what people are telling you, including, by the way, whatever I say on this podcast, question it, go and Google it, research it, do the hard work, do the homework yourself. That's why I always told my my kids and I speak in college campuses all over the world and, and I tell my typically young audience, don't just believe what I've told you tonight, don't. Go out and do the homework yourself the way I did, the way I've done for decades. I've asked the tough questions, and I've researched the answers. And that's how I went from being an atheist to becoming a Christian. I, I, I just went through all the major religions. I was a scientist, the scientific monk. I had a secular, atheist, world, scientific worldview. I was not satisfied. I asked some tough questions. I wasn't satisfied with the answers science was giving me. So I started looking around for other ways of thinking. Again, the, boy, the the Bible verse says, change the way you think. If I had just said, well, no, I, I just want to think like a scientist, period. Boom, end of sentence. I wouldn't be here talking to, the, to you in this podcast. I would have nothing interesting to tell you. I would only be able to spout what science has taught me, which is fantastic stuff. And we can talk about that. We already have. I've talked to you about logic and all that. But there's so much more to life than what science can teach you. And so I started exploring, you know, Hinduism and Buddhism and uh, Islam and Judaism, transcendental meditation and the whole thing. I tell the whole story in the the book. And then I finally landed on Christianity. But it didn't happen overnight. I asked the tough questions. I I demanded honest, rigorous answers. And that's my journey. And so I just want to encourage your listener – your fellow misfit here to do the same thing. And don't even just take my word for it. Maybe what you will hear me say today will challenge you to change the way you think, but then pick up and run with it. Make it your own journey. Don't don't just copy me and listen to me. Make it your own journey. I say that to my young Gen Z son. I say, you know, I tell him, Baba, don't, don't just do what dad has done. You have, you're entitled to your own life, okay? So you weren't, God didn't make you to please me. And God certainly did not make you to be a little mini-me. I, I would be really disappointed if you just became uh, another version of me. God did not, that's not your purpose in life. Right. God has a very special reason for making you. Go out and find it. Go out and find your destiny.
1: Dream now, oh, all means, but okay. find your own destiny. That, that I definitely want to, all right, I'm putting a pen. This is the second pen. I want to talk about that too. But before we do, uh, so what you just said is so important, uh, the way I see things right now, the idea of asking questions, right? That's how we change the way we think. We ask questions questions that's how we learn so important it is it is crucial to learning to being enlightened right because we all want to be enlightened we all want to know more right yes but we're living in an age right now we're in so many ways questioning anything is being discouraged if you're not asking the acceptable question you know what i mean
0: yes yes oh it, it it we are we are living in a time that is very disturbing to me um, as a scientist, as a Christian, because science progresses by people asking questions. Okay, let me just give you a simple example. Uh, the story is told that Einstein, uh, when he was a young man, uh, was living, uh, I guess, in an apartment. And some neighbor of his... Uh, fell off f- from the roof, and he survived, thankfully. But Einstein was able to interrogate him afterwards, and you know Einstein was very much a curious guy. He 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 was like me. He just asked asked questions, asked questions. He made a nuisance of himself. Uh, the way I did. and and I'm not comparing myself to Einstein, but I'm just simply saying that that's a common denominator, that he was a very curious person. And there are many quotes from Einstein that celebrate curiosity, human curiosity. But anyway, so he was talking about this guy, and during the conversation, he basically said, "Well, how did it feel, you know, falling from such a from such, from such a height?" That's a question only a scientist would ask, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, like, you know, a
0: psychologist. How feel? He was curious, right, about the experience. Right. Yeah. And uh, the guy said to him, well, you know, it's odd, but um, I felt weightless. I, I felt like when I, was, when I fell off the roof and I was heading to the, the ground, I just felt like weightless. Well, that was enough. That was enough of a seed in Einstein's brilliant mind. To get him to thinking. And he's got in, okay, well, he's accelerating. Again, I don't want to get too technical with your audience, right. but you know, when you fall, you accelerate at 32 feet per second per second. That's the acceleration due to gravity. So Einstein knew that. So he's thinking to himself, okay, well, this guy is accelerating, and he's telling me that while he's accelerating, when he's in a free fall, when nothing is stopping him, um, he feels weightless. Well. That I can't get into the whole story, but do you know that that led him to the general theory of relativity, which uh-huh. totally revolutionized there physics? There are
1: no stupid questions. <laughs> right.
0: So, yeah, you could have said – the guy could have said, why are you asking me how it felt when I fell off the roof? I mean, wow, that is – that's really kind of random. But that's simple. And I could go on and oh, on yeah. and on. And yeah. what I did when I was in grad school, and that's why when you were asking me that so-called stupid question about Cornell or Harvard – The reason I said Cornell is because it was during my grad student years that I asked a simple question. And that is, we're discovering in science that the universe, not just Earth, I'm not just talking about Earth. I'm talking about the entire enchilada, the entire universe appears to be designed for life okay again we can't we don't have the time to get into but it's all in the book and um, so I I, that was kind of a a shocker to me it was like really and this is science speaking right because I'm at that point I'm a I'm a scientist-atheist. I have a scientist-atheist worldview. Very secular. Seeing is believing. If you can't prove it, it's not true. It, it's a, the only thing that exists is matter and energy, yada, 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 yada. Okay, those mm-hmm. are the kind of the essential features of the typical scientist-atheist worldview, and that exactly. was why.
1: Yeah, and you're hanging out with people like Carl Sagan and...
0: Yeah, Frank Drake and Fred Hoyle, and I'm working in my lab seven days a week uh, for, you know, 21 hours. I'm sleeping for three hours at night. Um, I'm hardly grooming myself. I'm hardly eating. I have no social life. I'm in my lab because it is in the basement. I can't tell if it's day or night, but I don't particularly care. So that person, okay, keep that in mind now. That person, and then by the way, just to add some visual touches I was skinny because I hardly ate, and I had this big curly hair. I had big afro, and I barely groomed myself. So I was just kind of a just kind of just unkempt geek, uber geek. And I wore these really skinny jeans. And I joke, <laughs> I see, joke It you, you were fashionable
1: me. before <laughs> you knew it was fashionable. Yeah,
0: skinny. I see my sons yeah. wearing skinny jeans. Yeah. I think, wow, yeah. I was. I was way ahead of my time. but anyway.
1: Oh, yeah, I think you've just <laughs> described, like, you know, most, most Gen Zers, right? You know, the hair, all of it, all of it. Yeah, so you were, later, I, yeah,
0: who knew yeah. I was ahead of my time? but it anyway, paved the way. So that geek that I just described, that one, is saying to himself, wow, who knew that science would discover evidence that the universe, the entire universe is des- appears to be designed for life? And so that kind of rocked my worldview a little bit, but not enough to, you know, send me over the edge. And then a short while later, all again, during grad school at Cornell, high above Cayuga's waters, um, I learned something else in astronomy class, and that is that 95% of the universe is invisible to us, Uh, it's in the form of dark matter and dark energy. That's and amazing. uh we didn't call it dark matter back then we we called it the missing mass it was the, it was called the missing mass problem but it was basically the same thing it was it was mass that we could see it was seeming to have an effect on galaxies and how fast a galaxy spins again i explain all this in the book believing a seen, but but we can't see it so we called it the missing mass and then it became dark matter okay and we still don't know what it is we just call it that 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 name is just a placeholder we don't really know what it is so anyway my professor is saying well so you need to understand that 95 percent of the universe is invisible to us so I'm like doing the calculation I'm saying wait a minute that means we only see five percent of what's out there which means that everything that I'm learning in astronomy is based on only five percent of what's out there really I wonder what if I could lay eyes on the other 95 percent what would that do to my? What would that do to our astronomical view of the universe? I mean, you can only imagine, right? So that really rocked my boat because now I was faced as a super geek. I was faced with a universe that I, I had fallen in love with since the second grade, and that I'd spent my whole life studying, immersed in it. I was faced with a universe that appeared to be designed for life and that was mostly invisible to me. And so right away I said, whoa, I have to jettison the whole seeing is believing thing because if I stick to my guns that seeing is believing, then I have to disavow 95% of what's out there because I can't see it. So if I can't see it, I can't believe in it. So if I insist on seeing is believing, then I can only believe in 5% of of reality. And that's a mighty tiny worldview. So I knew right off that I couldn't hold on to my scientist-atheist worldview. And that was the beginning of my journey, my real journey in life, where I started exploring all those things that I talked to you about a moment ago. And that reluctantly led me to Christianity. So I I, I would never have embarked on that journey. I would never have have changed the way I think. I would have continued to simply conform to the world, to the scientific community that I was a part of if I had not started asking this question. How did this mostly invisible universe that appears to be designed for life come to be? If I hadn't asked that question, that one question, then I would never have embarked on the journey. And I would never have changed my mind. I would, the, I would never have changed the way I think. I would have never changed my worldview. And I would still be that scientific, scientist, atheist world, atheist uh, geek. That's as simple as that. So that, I take that Bible verse that I just read to you means, means everything to me because I live. That, that Bible verse is the verse that I have lived in retrospect. That's exactly what I let God transform me by changing the way I think. By, and by changing the, by asking the questions, which led to changing the, the way I think. And, and it rocked my worldview to its very core. And it was exciting. It was exciting all the way. And by the way, I haven't stopped asking questions. And I don't want your listeners to think that, okay, well, Dr. G has kind of settled into a rut. Oh, no, no, no. Every morning mm. when I wake up, I'm still asking the tough questions. And I'm asking the tough questions of Christianity, of the Bible. of god of jesus of modern physics of biology of of astronomy of mathematics i i'm just that's how i'm wired i'm just and i'm gonna go down to my last breath asking a question
1: so well yeah because i mean if something is true is first of all it's going to stand up to scrutiny right yes and 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 just because something is true doesn't mean we can know everything about it because hearkening back to what you just said, 95% of the universe, we don't know, we know nothing about because we can't see it. Um, You know, and and it makes me think, so I I picked this up someplace, you can tell me whether it's right or wrong, but I think it's a similar situation with our own brains, right? The the capacity uh, to even our thought process and what we can access within our own consciousness. Uh, I think it's a very small percent. Um, So, you know... Things that just because we can't see it, because it's it's not obvious, because it doesn't seem logical. Going back to that true or false statement, you know, it's Mm -hmm. the idea of well, what is scientific thinking? Is scientific thinking well? There's a there's just a hard answer for everything, and if there's no hard answer, then it's not true, and I'm not going to believe it. But after reading your book i'm coming to a different conclusion because there's another kind of logic so i'm going to throw the term out and then let you explain it you you introduced a term called trans logic
0: oh uh, yes yeah okay so um oh we're you yeah, you want to go there okay that's i good. want to go
1: there yeah <laughs> Let's go because
0: there. this is really important i think i mentioned briefly uh at the start of our conversation that when people use the word logical and you say, "be please be, you're not being logical, you know, if you get angry with somebody. That's not logical. Uh, <clears throat> what you're talking about there is what in, in physics or in math we call a crisp two-value logic. Uh, that's Aristotelian logic. That's the logic that was discovered by Aristotle, um, you know, to more than 2,000 years ago. So it's got a a, a, a long history. And the, the problem with um, that it, it, that kind of very simple minded view of logic is that we have discovered we've long ago discovered in math that there are many more kinds of logics and actually more logics that are that, logics that are more powerful than that. Um, there there is, for example, uh, what we would call three value logic, which is you don't, uh, Let me back up. The two value logic that I just talked about, crisp two value logic means that you're only allowing for something to be absolutely true or absolutely false. Right. It's either A or B. Right. Right. Uh, A three value logic is one where you allow for true, false, and maybe. Okay. And then you can just keep going on. There's four value, five value, all the way up to uh, infinite value, which is what we call fuzzy logic. And what's interesting is that with fuzzy logic, you allow for shades of truth. And if you think about it, that, that is mostly what life is about. But very few mm-hmm. things, I'm mean, and I'm talking about everyday life, okay? Um, uh, most things are are not clear cut, okay? Um, uh, you know, if, if your child misbehaves, uh, maybe you can kind of justify the behavior a little bit so it's not, yeah, okay, it's not long. 100 percent wrong what what he or she did and so maybe you moderate your discipline a little bit or something like that now not to say that there aren't absolute truths there are and i speak about those in the book but but there are but in addition to all the absolute truths there are relative truths and there are shades of truth okay now where does trans logic fit into all this trans logic is um something even more profound than what i've just discussed so there are all these varieties these kind of varieties of logic but then there then you go to the next level and there is something that actually transcends logic altogether of all kinds fuzzy four value three value two value it just transcends logic okay and uh I'm going to try to explain this in, in uh, very briefly. Again, um, it's explained in the book and it's very much – it's an important part of uh, a person understanding the nature of the universe God created for us because God is a translogical creature. God is not – you'll often say – you'll often hear people say, well, you know, God is rational. Mm, he is that but he's more than that. He's a translogical being. And was, So what does that mean? It means that um, – First of all, it's something is not logical. That when you hear it, um, uh, it, it you, your, your your instinct is to say, "No, that's just stupid. That's that's nonsense. It's not logical." So let me give you. I think the best way to explain is give you an example. Okay. So in science, there's something called uh, the quantum vacuum, and the quantum vacuum is um, the idea that. If you have space time, if you have, say, three dimensions of space and one dimension of time, so let's just say space time, 40 space time, and you empty it of all its matter and energy, okay, then you have what's called a vacuum, right? You remember probably if you took science class in high school, um, your teacher probably took a bell jar and sucked the air out of it to create a vacuum under the bell jar. To I think I remember that. Remember that? And it, just to teach you. And, you know, one of the favorite things is if you have an alarm clock and you cover it with a bell jar. Remember, a bell jar is just an upside down big jar, glass jar so you can see through it.
1: Right. The the canning jars, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. yeah. yeah.
0: Just yeah. You, you, and so you put, a, yeah. you put a, an alarm clock in there and, and he, you know, the teacher will put the bell jar over it. You can still hear the uh, alarm clock through the glass. You can see it. Uh, and then he starts sucking the air out of it and he's, as he sucks the air out of it, lo and behold, you can't hear the <laughs> alarm clock anymore. Why? Because the sound, sound requires air uh, in order to travel. Okay. So when you remove the air, you, there's no place for the sound to go. And so you, and the sound waves never reach you. It's still this, the alarm clock is still, you know, going off like crazy, but you just can't hear it because the sound waves can't reach your ear because of that gap that vacuum that he's created okay so that's what we call a classical vacuum okay but in the 1920s we discovered that there is a different sort of vacuum we call it the quantum vacuum now why is that different from a classical vacuum because we now believe we modern physicists believe that when you suck everything out of space-time when you create it when you produce a classical vacuum there still remains things we call virtual energy fields. These are things that are real, but not real. And you can almost think of them as spiritual entities. Okay. I, I liken it in the book. And again, it's uh, my book, sex, my more thorough is that these are what we call virtual energy fields because you can't see them. You can't touch them. You can't smell them. You can't You can never observe them. Let's just put it like that, okay? They're there, but they're beyond us. They're beyond us. That's why I compare them. I liken them to what the Bible describes as spiritual entities, right? Uh, Principalities that are beyond things that you can see and hear and all that. Okay, so – but let me just stick with the scientific jargon, okay? Um, But I'm just trying to help your listener understand what I'm trying to say. And and so these virtual energy fields, okay – mean that the quantum vacuum in some strange way is nothing and something and more than that we believe in cosmology which is the study of the origins of the universe and just the study of the universe as a whole i one of my specialties cosmology is that actually the quantum vacuum gave rise to the universe that in effect the quantum vacuum burped and it burped out an entire universe. Obviously, I'm oversimplifying, mm-hmm. but that's that's the basic kind of the current thinking in cosmology right now. Okay? So, the quantum vacuum is science's god. The quantum in the beginning there was a quantum vacuum and the quantum vacuum created the heavens and the earth if you want to think of it that way, okay? So, why am I why am I telling you about the quantum vacuum? Because the quantum vacuum is a perfect illustration of what I call a translogical is a translogical entity in the sense that it is something that is contradictory it's something that is both uh nothing and everything it, it's it's all-powerful because it can even create a universe and everything we see according to modern physics is the result of this so-called nothing this so-called vacuum all right so that if you stop and think about it that totally defies logic. How can something be nothing and everything? I I, I say yeah, because simultaneously, I'm yep, uh, simultaneously, simultaneously, right? Simultaneously. simultaneously. So I because I'm a Mexican, I'm five eighths Mexican, right? I I grew up in East LA. I was born in East LA. Um, I liken it to a piñata. You know, everybody knows what a piñata is, right? Usually, birthday parties, right? So it's it's like okay. So a piñata. If you want to be logical, you say to the kids, okay, kids, this piñata is full of candy. So if you whack it, that candy is going to spill out and you guys just go for it. Okay? That would be a logical thing to say. Here's what would be an illogical thing to say. Kids, um, this piñata is empty, completely empty. But if you whack it, it's going to, a bunch of candy is going to come out of it. You know, the kids would look at you and like, "What are you talking about? Did you have you lost your brain?" I mean that that like like makes no sense at all. Magic that is like the pinetto. most illogical thing I've ever heard. Well, but that's what modern physics is saying about the quantum vacuum. Right. It's basically right. telling us, "Look, this is nothing, but if you whack it and you disturb it, it will produce a universe with all the goodies in it." All right, mm-hmm. so that so in a nutshell trans logic is a way it it is it trans the trans logical realm is the realm of profound truths these are truths that don't make sense but that are not nonsense so why does that matter to me as a christian because when i first read the new testament and i started listening to what this character jesus was saying Because I read the Bible very reluctantly. I didn't want to, but there was a – and I tell the whole story. This co-ed who became my wife kind of goaded me into reading it. I love that story. Lured me into reading it, okay? But – so I read it reluctantly, but what arrested my attention – In the Old Testament, you know, it was, like, very logical, an eye for an eye. You hurt me, I hurt you. Karma is a very logical – so karma is part of many religions, and it's all very logical. And I'm putting it down, but it's not astonishing to me. When I was reading them as a scientist, I was like, yeah, okay, it's logical. Um, But when I got into the New Testament and I started reading what Jesus – how Jesus was speaking about, you know, the first shall be last. You you need to die in order to live. Um, You know, love – your enemies not just your friends i'm like whoa what this this like makes no this is not logical and for me that was awesome because i said wow this guy is talking quantum mechanics this guy is talking my language this guy is talking just exactly the way i've been learning in science class so that was like the fireworks went off for me nancy i mean this was like unlike any sacred literature i had read the vedas or the Quran, or the the Torah, or any of those things. This was unlike any sacred literature I had ever read in my life, and that is what then. Be, I didn't drop to my knees. It wasn't like a Damascus moment because I'm just not that way. I'm just a hard headed nerd, and I just. But what it did was
1: it intrigued me. It,
0: it intrigued me, and it made me start asking more and more questions. And do you know what? As I started more asking more and more questions kind of challenging the New Testament, challenge Jesus, it just got me deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And I'm like, whoa, this is like, this is this is like unique. And ultimately, you know, decades later, it caused me to really come to that point in my life where I said, you know what, I, I have to stop waffling and I have to stop resisting. I I have to jettison my scientific atheist worldview. And uh, embrace the scientific Christian worldview and that's where I'm at today but it took it took a long time but that's how it started yeah. with, trans, with my recognition that the New Testament is a translogical document people don't realize yeah. that and I explain I, again I get into it in the book it's really exciting once you understand what translogic is all about you begin you will begin seeing new the New Testament you'll begin seeing Jesus God Christianity, the Christian worldview, in a whole new profound light. It, it's really amazing.
1: Well, okay, yeah. So, so, all right, I'll try to collate my thoughts into one because I have like about fifteen right now. <laughs> so here, so here's the thing: what what you talk about is, you know, this this trans logic is more compatible. With you know, between science and a worldview that comes that based on christian Christian worldview, there's more compatibility there than there is with science and, say, atheism, because right. i I think whether we're a scientist or not, right? whether we however we're wired, and there's so much we could say about that, how that plays into all of this. We want things to make sense, right? That we just do. We want answers. That's why we ask questions. So yes. we ask these questions hoping to get an answer. And then ultimately we 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 cut, we bump up against a wall or a roadblock where, okay, now we've entered that unknown territory, that 95% that is unknowable. And so there's a big blank there. But our tendency is, well, we, we want to fill in that blank with something. So, that's, at that point, the way I see it, it's at that point whether, it's at that point we have to reckon with, well, how are we going to fill in that blank? Are we going to fill it in with, well, this is what makes sense to me Mm -hmm. because I want it to fit my worldview and my sensibilities or am I going to be open to something that I don't know? That that I can't wrap my mind around, and and this is the beginning of the mystery that you're speaking about.
0: Exactly, uh, Nancy. I, I, you you said it. You said it beautifully. And um, I want to tell you that yes, part of that journey, that decades ju- decades long journey that I just alluded to, was the discovery. And this was the real shocker for me was that as I was discovering how compatible the Christian worldview was with science. I mean, it was like hand in glove. It was unbelievable. Um, I was also discovering how incompatible uh, the scientific worldview was with the atheist worldview. That was a real shocker. And again, I explain that in the book. So between those, it was like a, shall we call it a one-two punch or a double-barrel shotgun or whatever. Um, I came to the point where I just, as an intellectual, you know, I had to say, look, this is where my questioning has led me. This is how can I ignore it? I can't ignore the Christian worldview anymore. And I can't keep justifying the atheist worldview anymore because it's out there. It's completely it's completely contradictory to the scientific worldview, which I know is going to be a shock to your fellow misfits because the the myth out there. If you want to call it the lie, I hate using such a powerful word, but let's say, let's just go with the myth, misunderstanding out there that somehow the scientific worldview is absolutely compatible with the atheist worldview. Because you hear many atheists out there, uh, like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins, who, who are both scientists, making you believe that somehow um, the their atheism is... Completely compatible with their with their with their science and simply not true. And once you once you understand that, then you will come to the realization that I did in my journey that I could, I, if I, if I wanted to be intellectually honest, never mind anything else, then I I could not dismiss the Christian worldview, and that in fact, in fact, the Christian worldview is the World, is the religious worldview that is the most compatible with the scientific worldview? And again, I know that's going to sound way out there to your listener because they're being kind of bombarded uh, every day by this message that somehow Christianity is anti-scientific. You hear that a lot these days mm-hmm. in the media. Right. Oh, Christians are anti-scientific. They they don't follow the science. Right. Nonsense. It's just nonsense. And, right. and, well, and it's other, narrative right what?
1: their narrative is very important because it's what we what we hear what we're exposed to yeah right? and i think I, th-
0: yeah. I think it's partly because people who say that have an agenda you know uh, scientists who are atheists have an agenda they want to make you believe that if you want to be scientifically literate it means you have to become an atheist and that's simply again not true just the opposite is true and then i think in the case of the media i think they're just Illiterate. I think they're just scientifically illiterate, and I say that because I've been in journalism, you know, pretty much all my adult life. Um, first in print, and then on television at ABC News. I was at ABC mm-hmm. News for twelve years, and and so forth, and uh, so. I just there's just a lot, an awful lot of scientific illiteracy out there, and so they'll say that because they they've bought they have kind sure. of drunk the kool aid or they've bought into the lie or the myth that the the, the atheist scientists are, are trying to espouse. So, but like whatever I, you know, I try to remain positive. I, yeah. I don't like to. I, I just I'm just look when I when I go around speaking to kids on college campuses or on my podcast Science Plus God with Dr. G, um, I. I just try my very best to share with my listeners I'm um, like what I'm doing right here with you. I just like to share what I have discovered in the hopes that it can be helpful to you in your own journey. Like I said, I tell my boy, you have your own journey to live. You're entitled to that. God made you unique, different from me. So I don't want to impose you know, my, my belief system on you. Um, but I will share, if you're at all interested, I will share what I have learned in my journey. And it's been quite a journey. I mean, as you can tell, uh, even without reading yeah. the book, you can tell it's been quite an amazing journey. This kid, this little Mexican kid from East LA and all the things that I've done, the things that I'm doing now. I mean, we're not even, we haven't even gotten to the things what we're doing now. I mean, really exciting stuff happening. Um, so I just want to encourage people to um, listen to me with this in mind. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. Really, I'm not. I don't feel like I even have that power. You know, I hear a lot of Christians, you know, they all they, oh, well, I You know, I preached and I, the hundred souls came to the altar. Well, you know, and they, it's almost like they put notches on their belt. Well, no, I, I don't, I don't have that kind of conceit. Uh, I, I can't, I can't. How do I want to say this? Only God has that power. Remember that verse that I just read. It says, "If you allow God to transform you, only God can transform That's you. Right. But He can only transform you if you if you open your mind, stop living the status quo. Open yeah. your mind, change the way you think. You change the way you think by asking tough questions. Don't shy away from That's tough right. questions. I for I look. I spoke at a um an historically black college. I won't name it, but it's it's a very famous historically black college, okay? And um one of the great I mean, oh, uh, the kids there were just and it was wall to wall and there was just so much energy in that room and uh and there was a mixture, you know, kids of all faiths not just christians we, we, when when i speak they all come the atheists the buddhists the the muslims everybody yes. comes and come that's in, how come i on. love it love that's it. how i come at and yeah. because i i think of them all as my kindred spirits they all have the spirit of god they all have the god breathed the spirit into each one of them okay now they're on their own journey and i think you know i have you know i've been through my own journey let's just put it that way but i always try to be respectful of other religions okay um But anyway, so at at the end of it, um, they came to me and it was a little bit sad that, you know, they said, you know, we just loved it because you gave us kind of permission to ask questions about science. I'm sensing a
1: theme here. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it really is, Nancy. And it kind of broke my heart because they said, you know, some of the kids, the Christian kids especially, came up to me and said, you know, we go to church and, man, our our bishop would never – we 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 don't we could never approach our bishop with questions like this you know and it's just like wow really and so i just want to like if there are pastors or bishops listening i just want to i want to urge you to encourage your congregation your flock um to ask questions don't be afraid i think so many christians live in fear that if they ask questions if they dare to ask questions of the bible or of their pastor or even of their faith god forbid you should question your faith right because where is that going to lead is this going to make turn you into an atheist no no listen to me mm-hmm. just the opposite happened I was an atheist who asked Mm -hmm. questions, and it transformed me into a Christian. So asking questions is not going to make you an atheist, my friend. Trust me. It's just the opposite. It's going to strengthen your faith. I, I can guarantee that if you start asking questions, it's not going to weaken your faith. It's going to strengthen your faith. Every question that I ask, every tough question that I ask... Always strengthens my faith. We don't have time to get into it, but there is a 1 Peter 3.15. Okay, 1 Mm, Peter 3.15. I don't think
1: I know this one.
0: Right? It it says this in part, worship Christ as Lord of your life, which I do. Christ is the Lord of my life. I have years ago in the 1990s, and I tell the whole story in the book. I don't want to get into it here. You can't do it justice just glossing over it. But I tell the story of, you know, you believe in God, you have to, look, it's in stages. That's why I always call it a journey. Life is a journey, okay? So when I got to the point where I really had to admit that the Christian worldview was answered all my questions, best of all, and it represented truth, Okay, absolute truth, not wishy-washy truth, absolute truth. That was one thing. That was one stage when I said, okay, I, I really feel like, okay, I can embrace the Christian worldview. But it was really more of an intellectual thing. And then as I started living the Christian life, um, or what I perceived from my reading and studying the Bible was the Christian life, then I had to get to that point, and it took years to actually go from just believing that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is God incarnate and he is the Lord of my life to surrendering my life. That's a whole different thing. That's a whole different thing. And again, I talk about that in the book, but right. um, uh, I, I, I have favorite verses and first Peter three fifteen. Okay. Says this, Worship Christ as Lord of your life. That's why I got off on the little tangent. I forget, I was like, "Why am I saying that?" <laughs> because I do now worship Christ as the Lord. Of life. I've surrendered my That's life. Where
1: it all begins. Yeah. Hundred
0: percent. Hundred percent. But here's what it continues to say. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if someone asks about your hope as a believer, yep. always be ready to explain it. Now, what is it right. saying? In other words, in most Christians that I've I've found, um. They will say this to me. I'll say, "Well, why do
1: you? Why are you a Christian?" Simple
0: question, right? And right. I'm not even being belligerent. I'm actually—it's a friendly
1: question. I just want to know. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just curious. Tell
0: me yeah. why you're a Christian. Do you know, like, a uh-huh. right? And it—and it, exactly. if they are able to get, it's like they're shocked. They're like they're deer caught in the headlights. Right. And then, and then if they do gather their thoughts, they'll, they'll say something like, "Well, because I believe the Bible, and the Bible tells me so." okay all right why that's reason number one right
1: yeah
0: and then number two they'll say well because you know what i was a drunk i was a a gambler i was an addict and he changed my life 100 percent okay that's reason number two and both by the way are legitimate reasons but here's the problem with that if you rely only on that uh a rock hard atheist We'll just shrug it off and say, well, sure. you know what? I don't believe in the Bible. So right. there's, so scratch reason number one. And they'll say, you know, it's great that you had, you know, your life was transformed. But I, I think it's because you went to therapy or it's because you did this or it's, right. you know.
1: It's a nice question yeah, so for you. It's yeah.
0: Exactly. In other words, a, it's so easy. And I'm not yeah. saying it's yeah. right. I'm just simply saying this is sure. a fact of life. Right. And it's very easy for a hardcore skeptic to shrug off both those reasons. So if that's all you have in your quiver, if those are the only two arrows you have in your quiver, you're not going to be fulfilling 1 Peter 3.15. You're exactly. not going to be able to explain it in any kind of effective way um, well, yeah. to a skeptic. So when, I, when I'm confronted by a skeptic who asks me, well, why are you a Christian, Dr. G.? Boy, I can hit them with stuff like we've been talking about in this podcast. And let me tell you, because I see it everywhere I go. I I, I went to a university in the East Coast. I won't name it. But I was warned just before I took the stage, hey, by the way, the entire uh, humanist student society is showing up tonight. And I said, sure, bring them on. And sure enough, I saw them marching in. I was behind the curtain and I was just looking at the uh, auditorium filling up. And sure enough, and they were, some of them were dressed in very weird ways and stuff like that. And they all sat together uh, on the, towards the left. For me, looking at the audience, they were off to the left towards the front. And, uh, you know, after my speech, sure enough, one of them came up and they would, this fellow was wearing like a bowler hat and he had makeup on. He almost looked like the Joker, but he Mm -hmm. asked a question and you know, what's the first thing I said to him? Because he said to me, well, I'm I'm here and I'm an atheist and I have a question for you. Sure. And uh, so he gave me his question. I can't remember what it was. And uh, the very first thing out of my mouth was, you know what? I said, thank you for being here tonight. Right. I said, because, you know, I'm not sure if when I was an atheist, back when I was a grad student, that scientific monk, I'm not sure I would have bothered to come to an event like tonight to listen to me speak.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, because I just just have to say this, so important in this day and age right now, in this moment in our culture, the fact that he and they came and listened and didn't just come to disrupt and shout you down because we're seeing so much of that. But all right, so- Well, but that's not even the end of the story. So after the
0: Q&A, kids typically line up and they keep me till past midnight. And in this particular night, um, we were shooed out of the auditorium like at around 11 because they had to lock up the auditorium. And the guy mm-hmm. came up to me and said, look, you know, Dr. Gillen, I mean, you, you have this auditorium only until like 11 o'clock. We got to lock up. And I still had a line of kids and the, a lot mm-hmm. of the atheists were still around uh, wanting to ask me questions. So so we one of the kids said, well, the student union is still open. So we traipsed. <laughs> Nice. We all marched. This whole entourage just marched nice. over to the studio, and we were there what until we? like a, well, one. And then finally, my my uh, my handler said, "Dr. Gillen, you you need to get to the hotel yeah. because you've got to get you've got a flight out tomorrow morning." But here's the point: the point is that we're uh, Christians need to be prepared to defend their faith to a right. skeptic. If they don't, they don't have to. Okay, yes. they can just shrink shrink away. But if you want to be an effective spokesperson for your faith, if you want to be an effective Christian in this world, and remember, one of the great, the great commission is, go out and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. So if you want to be effective in, in obeying that um, uh, commission, then you have to have more than just, well, the Bible tells me so, and because it changed my life. It's not going to work. So when I go out and I speak to these atheists, I explain to them why I am a Christian, and it just blows them away, and they have no response. And that's why at the end of that, until at 1 a.m., at that particular uh, event that I talked to you about, they, they went away. They followed me to the curb. They became like my best friends mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. why? First of all, I spoke truth to them. Truth, truth, not wishy-washy truth. I, tr- yeah. I, I spoke absolute truth to them. I don't compromise my faith, and I don't compromise science. And then I respected them. I spoke to them with love, truth with love. Truth with love. And that is We heard
1: that before, Yeah. yeah.
0: And so my book, Believing is Seeing, when I was writing it, I was thinking, okay, I'm writing this for the skeptic to challenge their skepticism, right? But do it in a respectful way. And then I'm also writing this book for people who are already Christians, who are believers, but who may not be able to defend their faith very well, especially in the face of very hostile today's hostile climate that kids will face in universities, professors, fellow students who will just, you know, just breathe down their neck. This book provides them with a whole lot of ammunition, and in fact, they can just say, "Hey, look, look at Dr. Gillen's book. I may not be able to answer all your questions, but I've read his book, and he's got some great answers for you." Uh, just and give, maybe even give them a copy of the book or send them a, to buy a book. So that's the bottom line. We are called to defend our faith. We, And never mind the Bible. Even if the Bible didn't call us to defend our faith, Nancy, shouldn't we want to understand why we believe what we believe? I mean, exactly. do you really want to go through life being a scaredy cat, being yeah, a scaredy be- cat to ask yes. questions because you feel your worldview is that fragile is your worldview that fragile really no it shouldn't be
1: well and i think you touched on something super important once again that you know whatever we believe because we have people that are listening now that yeah i'm a christian and we have people that are whatever and you know thanks for listening by the way but (laughs) but the thing is is Whatever we believe, we should be able to say why we believe it. And that is the key question. Why? Why yeah. do you believe? Even for me, even to say, well, because the Bible says so. Well, why? And, you know, if it's like every three-year-old instinctively knows, right, to ask that question. You keep asking why until you get to the you know the edge of the universe to that place so and that that's where faith comes in right and you spoke of intellectual honesty right and and that's just it because i, I have this little theory in life that i i believe this is where we stumble all of us myself included we like to think of ourselves as seekers of truth but in yeah. reality we're really seekers of ourselves and what i mean by that is you know we yeah we say we want the truth and we'll ask and we'll search but we kind of stop at that place when it gets uncomfortable or when it insults our sensibilities, or when it's just, oh, you know, it's just not an easy answer anymore. And then this is the point where we do insert faith, and it's faith of one kind or another. And as you say in your book, and as we've been talking now, even scientists do it. There is an element of faith in some of these, you know, translogic realities, that you're speaking of. So we cannot escape faith. The best we can do is to be intellectually honest enough to keep pushing and saying, all right, I don't know, but how am I going to fill in that blank?
0: Exactly. And not just the trans logic. I mean, I explain in the book, you know, there's an entire chapter about having faith in science, having faith in astronomy, having faith in mathematics. And what I do is I explain to the reader, you know, just how much, physics, math, astronomy, science in general relies on faith. So this, again, this gets to another lie that uh, you'll often hear skeptics say, well, you know, religion depends on faith and science doesn't. Science depends on logic. And the implication there is that logic is superior to faith. And, well, again, that's just nonsense. And I explain why it's nonsense. It's, it's more than even nonsense. It's really, it's dastardly. It's dastardly to make people uh, believe a lie like that. The fact is that physics, math, astronomy, also biology, anthropology, name, every science is ultimately founded on faith, on axioms that uh, they assume that they cannot prove. Remember, we get back to girdles that not all truths can be proved. Right. Well, science is based on certain axioms that cannot be proved. They have to be taken on faith. And second of all, because and, and by the way even logic itself is based on faith and i explain that because mm-hmm. when you when you construct a logical argument you always begin with certain premises certain axioms okay even euclid's geometry which is one of the most beautiful examples of the power of logic i mean he was able to prove all uh, theorems of geometry using logic, but he had like 33 assumptions he had to make. Those 33 things have to be taken on faith. So if you don't believe them, you don't see the results. That's why I say believing is seen. Unless you buy into the the premises, unless you buy into the axioms, unless you accept them on faith, then you will ne- never see the results, of the, the fruits that those uh, axioms bear. And so right. it's all about believing is seen. And the same is when yeah. you read the Bible. Unless you're willing to believe that God exists, you will never find out for yourself if he does or not. You understand? It's really important. You lead with believing. So unless you're willing to even believe the possibility that God exists, you're going to die never knowing, never seeing for yourself whether he does or not. That's why it's believing is seen. And it's important because... How you see the world determines how you react to the world.
1: And one last
0: thing, because even logic itself depends on faith, and science depends on faith, our religious beliefs depend on faith, faith is more powerful than logic. Logic is actually quite weak. It's a very simple-minded way of uh, thinking. It's a very childlike way of thinking, which, again, I know is going to surprise your listener, but it's simply true. Logic, I'm going to repeat that because it's really important. Logic is probably one of the most simple-minded ways you can think, Uh, and it depends on faith. So faith ultimately is the most powerful, uh, uh, mightiest force, as I indicate in the universe one last thing you said uh, a few minutes ago nancy you you said that you know we we demand that make things make sense if things don't make sense to us we tend to reject them right my book is all about expanding your definition of what makes sense if if what if you believe that making sense means it has to be logical whoo You're living in a really, really small world. Your worldview is teeny, tiny, teensy, in like a little tiny house. These popular houses now, these tiny houses. Well, (laughs) your worldview is like a little tiny house.
1: Micro,
0: yeah. Right. So, what I do in the book, and what I attempt to do when I'm talking to kids at universities, is expand their notion of what it means to be to make sense. So when you begin to understand translogical thinking, when you begin to understand that the the most profound absolute truths of the universe, the most profound truths of the universe are translogical truths, they're not logical truths, logical truths are trivial by comparison, then you will begin to understand that when you say it doesn't make sense, uh, doesn't make sense <laughs> your exactly. your 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 definition of what makes sense suddenly balloons out and it's really exciting and that's when you start changing your way of thinking and that's when god can start transforming you as a person
1: yeah yeah you know because in, in a weird way i think even though we we balk at this in some ways and in, in other ways it's a translogical thing maybe that um you know, eternity is set in our hearts. So there is something that resonates. We do want to know that there's more out there, right? I mean, that's that's what the sciences are all about. Yes. Um, and, or, or, and even the humanities, because we know there's more. There's more. So, uh, oh my goodness. I mean, it, just in case you thought we've talked about the whole book. No, we've only scratched the surface. There's bias and worldview, which we've touched on equivalence versus equating. I wanted to talk about that and dreams and destiny. And you know what? I think you're just going to have to read the book. Um, And there's even a quiz at the end. Um, And it's not stupid, by the way. (laughs) Um, So, so, oh, Dr. G, thank you so much for, for just being so generous with your time. And wow, what a great conversation.
0: Nancy, I really enjoy this and and let's do it again another time. But yes, I I just want to say to your listener, your listeners, um, I feel privileged to have had the opportunity that Nancy has given to me to speak to you directly and straight from my heart. um, I just pray that something I said today on this wonderful broadcast with Nancy will urge you to allow God to transform you into a new person. He did that for me decades ago, and I still rejoice. Every morning when I wake up, the first words out of my mouth is thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for taking me out of that basement lab when I didn't know if it was day or night and into a light, uh, into a world of just pure light and love and life. So thank you, Nancy, and thank you, dear listener. God bless you both
1: my misfit friend, do you even realize what a tremendous gift we've been given in this conversation with Dr. Michael Gillen, who could be talking with just about any important person you could think of, but here he is talking to us. I hope that makes you feel important because you know what? You are. And I hope you go back to listen to it again and again and share it with everyone you know who's looking for answers because... That should be just about everyone. So, here's something fun that I get to pass on to you. Rumor has it that come September 7th, which is release day for Seeing is Believing, that's Dr. Michael Gillen's new book, at the stroke of midnight on the 7th of September, for everyone who has pre-ordered the book, you will have the chance to play your own not-so-stupid game and answer Dr. G's questions three he'll give you 48 hours and all the correct answers will go into a big scientific hat for a drawing the winner of which get this will get to do your very own podcast with dr g and take it for me that is a pretty cool prize so you want to pre-order that book and you can do it right now wherever you like to buy your books Uh, michaelgillen.com is a great place to do that that's uh, michael g-u-i-l-l-e-n dot com it's uh, like I said it's a great place for that and so much more and of course you should check out his podcast Science Plus God because that's really good too and I might add isleofmisfits.com is a great place to go for more misfit activity in conclusion get the book enter the drawing and above all Keep owning your awkward, keep loving your fellow misfit, and keep asking questions so you can get to the bottom of all the beauty and all the truth that's out there.